Hey everybody, welcome to Don't Sit in the Front. This week I talked to the very funny Caitlin Jeffers. You can find Caitlin on Instagram at underscore Caitlin Jeffers and on Twitter at Jeffernot. I'll put those in the show description. Caitlin also has a show coming up that she hosts with Kadi Asad. It's called This Is Different uh, in Burbank at the Nightcap. It's on August 1st. We got Sarah Schaefer, Guy Branham, uh, big names, just 10 bucks. That's coming up on August 1st, a Sunday night, if you're in the area. I will put the Eventbrite link in this show description. I was excited to talk to Caitlin. Uh, she's a very funny stand-up comedian. She works on a cool show, Rutherford Falls, and she's also written a lot for The Hard Times, which is a punk rock news satire website that I really enjoy. And yeah, I was glad to talk to her about all of those. I'll put the link for her Hard Times profile, uh, and you can see the numerous articles she's written over the past few years. Thank you everybody so much for listening. Uh, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff that helps me kind of get in the algorithm. Uh, we've been doing the podcast for almost a year. I'll be episode 50 next week. Uh, I'm going to have Casey Gates Fry come back and we'll kind of talk about the year in the podcast. We're going to talk about some pretty interesting specials that have come out recently. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you so much for listening. This is Caitlin Jeffers. curious i saw on social media you had a show in oakland this last weekend what? yeah i was up in the bay doing um i so my friend jackie put on this like native american show mm. um stand-up show in orinda at the cal shakes theater mm. and it looked so, like a cool outdoor it was amazing thing. yeah mm. it was really fun there's 300 people. It was, Whoa. it was fun. But yeah, so I had that show. So then when I, I went for the week because I had mm. to work from home. And then I just booked a few other shows while I was there. Mm-hmm. So I did shows in like San Francisco, mostly in Berkeley. Mm. Did you feel any kind of difference from doing stuff down here? Um, I hadn't really done. I only did the show with Kadi Asad before, right? Yeah, I don't think I did that many shows since the pandemic. Yeah. So. So they're all kind of like weird and getting back into it. Yeah, kind yeah. of. But it was, I mean, the thing like San Francisco is very white. Mm. So I think some of the jokes, the show I did Saturday that Jackie put on was like a native show. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the audience were native and it's always interesting to see like what white people react to and uh-huh. what native people react to yeah and then in san francisco depending on the show probably the crowd's very like self-conscious white people that are probably wanting to seem woke but they're not sure and when you're in a group setting like that they might react strangely that's just my guess yeah god 
the people in San Francisco, and I know they're not the original locals either. Right. Like that place, I've been there a lot over mm. the past two years, and like I, every not everybody, mm. they're they're so out of touch in a very specific mm. way that is different. Like people in LA, white people, privileged rich white people are out of touch in like their own I think like people in LA they come here they want to be actors or famous uh-huh there's that kind of anxiety mm-hmm. and then the people in San Francisco are, that I see sometimes I once time I was at a coffee shop and I was sitting there and there was this line it was long mm. there's like seven people on it and this dude walks in and walks right to the front mm-hmm. and just starts ordering. And the barista was like, there's a line. Like the guy, and uh. he was like, oh. Like <laughs> he didn't, he couldn't believe that there was a line. Uh-huh. I would, lo- I would lose my mind if I was in that line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that's what I mean. It's just like the, so out of touch with reality. I One time I was up there and I did a show They have these shows called Don't Tell. Mm. And they're in like houses, apartments. Okay. We were in this dude's, he bought one of those beautiful like Victorian houses. Mm. And he owned the whole thing. And it was like gorgeous. And the people in there were insufferable. (laughs) So yeah, they were just getting wasted and they're obnoxious. Mm. But yeah, like the amount of money the people up there have is obscene. Yeah. It should be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, so you got kind of a, maybe a strong juxtaposition then where you had the, you're talking about white people at shows. Was the the show with an all, was it an all native lineup? And then uh, what about the audience do you think was like the demographic that showed up for that? There was a lot of native people in the audience. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. all native lineup. And um, yeah, I think, the demographic was mostly native mm-hmm. and and then some people who i guess they were white people were wearing masks too oh, so. yeah. <laughs> and it was dark mm-hmm. so it was a little, but yeah it was mostly native um and it also because it was closer to like the east bay mm-hmm. there were just more like normal people yeah, yeah there's normal people in san francisco who have like held on but i think Mm, they've been harder to find out. like working class people yeah. in that city anymore unless they're like old or they kept their house from right like their grandparents or whatever yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah i think it just i feel like people in the outer bay area are a little more down to earth mm-hmm. i hope i don't get canceled for that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think most people well most people listen to this and then most people in general are okay with the uh most people are working class, actually, it turns out. Right. Did you, you? I assume you did maybe the same set for both places? Yeah, I did the same set mostly. I was kind of a little worried. My friend Brian Bahi went up first, and he he did a setup where he was like, I'm gay, and the audience just like lost their mind. And he was like, oh, okay, I'm on tin, uh, Grindr. Uh. You know? <laughs> but it was kind of like, what sort of crowd is this? We don't know. And mm. then... Yeah, so then I went up after him and I was just like, well, if you were cool with the grinder stuff, <laughs> this is going to be fine. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> you never know mm. like, who's in the audience. I did, I was doing this joke about 
I've been doing this joke about Citizen App, which oh. I'm told everybody's doing jokes about the Citizen App, but I've not been outdoors enough to oh, I think it, interact. I mean, I've heard people do jokes about it, but I think it's because it rose to prominence when everybody was looking at their phones and stuff right. in quarantine. So, And then at the same time, people were using that app a lot during mm-hmm. the same period where people were looking at their phones a lot. So I think it's just like one of those topics people didn't get to hit right in the pandemic and now they can talk about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Doing a joke about the Citizen app. And then I was doing, I had written a joke about using the Citizen app in Oakland. And when I tell it, I tried it down here. Mm. People were pretty quiet. They were like, it's about, because what happened was I, my first night in Oakland, not this trip, but a previous trip, I heard automatic gunfire Mm. and I'd never heard it before in real life Yeah, and didn't, like, I never thought I would be like, oh, that's definitely automatic gunfire. But Mm. when I heard it, I was like, that's what it is. And I opened the Citizen app and it said like 20 rounds of automatic gunfire, Mm -hmm. like, 0.2 miles away or something. Uh, So I was like, oh shit. So I had written a joke about that. And down here, people kind of uptight. When I told in San Francisco, people, because I'll say like, I have never been to war. mm -hmm. I'm staying in Oakland. And people are like, oh, well. There was a person in the audience that was like, same thing, you know, like, Uh, they're all like, Oakland's scary. But then when I was at the Native show and I told it, because so many people are most likely in the, there's a huge native community in Oakland. Uh huh. They were like, yeah, I was like automatic <laughs> gunfire. They were like, yeah, <laughs> they were so proud of but, their yeah, automatic guns. That's so weird. Like, uh, yeah, the pride of living in an area that has like all like problems mm-hmm. that you have to live through. And then it's just probably like an elation that someone's acknowledging it. Yeah. Yeah. But I wasn't like, I also wasn't like you all need a change. Like I don't yeah. know. I wasn't when it happened. I I wasn't like let me call the cops. I was mm. like this is just is that what happened? And then I'm like I'm indoors, so whatever. Mm. Uh, what was your first time back on stage after the pandemic? I went to an open mic with Kadia Sad because mm. I think she told me she was going to ones in person, and I was like sure. And we went to like the comedy nook. Uh-huh. Which is on Melrose. I signed up. And that was like so surreal because you wear a mask. Yeah. I don't know if they still do it like this, but I guess with the mandate, they might have to again. But you like wear a mask the whole time. Everybody is seated like six feet apart from each other. And then they give you like a little cover to put on your microphone. Mm-hmm. And they clean the mic between the sets and everything. They have two mics. So it definitely didn't feel totally normal (laughs) yeah um but that was the first time Mm -hmm. and then stuff you know like they dropped the masking thing and like i think yeah the audience and like the experience has started to feel a little more normal but Mm -hmm. it definitely because then everybody's talking through their mask into a microphone so you're getting like amplified oh no you take the mask off you get on stage Yeah. yeah yeah But yeah, that was the first one. And then the first show I did was, again, the one that I we put on together. Mm-hmm. 
Well, before the pandemic, how long had you been in L.A.? I moved here in January of 2017. Okay. So you had a while. You had a few yeah. time like three under years. your belt. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, the one thing I was pretty interested when I heard when Kadi introduced us and then uh, I poked around a little bit more at you on social media mm-hmm. and I was very pleased to find out you write, you've written for The Hard Times. Yes. And if, uh, if listeners don't know what The Hard Times is, the best, I don't know if they like this description, but the best way to explain it is it's kind of like the onions, so like a fake news site, newspaper, but all sort of in the theme of punk rock. Fair description? Yeah. Yeah. That's usually, I'll say like, it's like the onion, but with punk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for years and years, um, like I grew up liking hardcore punk. Uh, and then oh, it nice. was just once the hard times became a thing and was out there it was just like anybody could share an article and you automatically are going to laugh just at the headline and then it's like the work of like also writing the article too I imagine but Mm -hmm. uh, how did you get into that space uh I submitted I actually um what happened was I was outside of an open mic talking to a friend of mine he was like I was telling him at the time I was like internet friends with the lead singer of one of my favorite punk bands. Yeah. And we, he would like quote tweet me and like tag the jokes Mm. that I was tweeting and all this like random shit. And then one day he messaged me and said he was like in California Mm. living in Orange County. And I was like, Oh, and then he was like, Long story short, I don't want to get too into the details. But I was going to ask what band, but maybe don't say. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you off, Mike. But uh, he, we hung out. I was like, okay, look, I have a, I had a booked open mic spot that mm. night, like downtown thing. If anyone's on, a booked open mic, <laughs> yeah, I, I would like somebody. to hear this. Yeah. Well, okay, so someone will run an open mic. Well, the way that they were doing this particular one, there were like three different quote unquote mics that they were doing in one night, but they just booked it. Mm -hmm. So they would ask you to be on it, even though it wasn't a show. Mm -hmm. And then I guess they also had lottery spots. So like people Mm -hmm. could show up and like throw their name in a bucket. Mm -hmm. So that was the booked open mic. And I was about to go do shows in Seattle. So I was trying to like run a set. And then, and I'm hanging out with this dude. We get like lunch and everything. And then I'm like, I have to do this thing tonight. And he's like, I'll come. So mm. then I take the lead singer of my favorite punk <laughs> to a booked open mic that I'm doing. And uh, and I bombed. I was like, because I was distracted all day because I was whatever. And uh, I bom- I'm not gonna blame anything. I bombed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always accept my bombing Mm. but you're doing kind of like the the hardest version of i have i've discovered over time that i kind of don't like to meet people in bands that i really like anymore i've learned Mm -hmm. like sometimes it goes well but oftentimes like they're on this sounds like a different situation but like if they're on tour or something or sometimes like a friend of mine booked a show and then i would be one of the people that was like helping them get from Mm. point a to point b or like when i lived in korea some bands would visit um and i would like go help get them at the airport just be like another person who spoke english to help out that kind of thing Mm -hmm. i drove a band like on a on a tour 
it was just kind of like people in a band, you really like their music, especially if it has any kind of message. And then you just mm-hmm. kind of hang out with them as normal people. I've often found it to be sort of like underwhelming mm-hmm. or just not disappointing, but just kind of like, or if they like said something weird or did something weird, it ruined that like image you have them. It's the basic like mm-hmm. don't meet your heroes thing, but on a lower scale of these are DIY right. hardcore shows, but still. I can see that. Mm. But you performed in front of someone, so that's very... <laughs> Yeah, I Elevated. did, I, and I bombed, and then we left. He was, like, enjoying the show, mm-hmm. and then we left, and he goes, well, you did better than the person right before you, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, thanks, man, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and we were, like, friends. We're still friends. He actually texted me the other day that he got a new phone number, and uh, so I was telling that story to someone who wrote for hard times mm. at an open mic mm-hmm. he goes that's crazy and he goes you should write for hard times <laughs> i uh-huh. was like all right uh i had submitted to them like years before that and i swear to god all my headlines were just rephrasings of the word like bernie sanders is like op- on tour opening for and then just like insert like cross punk <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it was my old i had I swear every pitch I did was a version of that Mm -hmm. because I didn't know what the hell it was and I never Mm. submitted anything. I think I was only like a year into like doing improv when and -hmm. I didn't know anything about doing comedy at all when I started. So, yeah. Well, at that time, too, like hard times started as I don't know, like the details, but like it was known among anybody that likes like punk and any kind of punk leaning music. But now they're like a they're like a media company. Like there was a big deal. Oh yeah, they, yeah. So they're like, and then they're putting out podcasts. I feel like they'll put mm-hmm. out other like web series or things like that eventually. So they've become like a a big media company now. Yeah. So they yeah. probably have all kinds of hard processes now. But I imagine in the beginning it was just submissions. In the beginning, it was yeah, it was real wild, and I didn't get in. But um, mm. so that all happened. I submitted, yeah, and then my first article came out. May 5th, mm. 2019. Um, Listeners, I will put some links in the <laughs> show description, but I was reading some of those earlier, and the one about Gavin Newsom was quite... Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it doesn't ruin it to read the headline because the article you had to go read through and get all the jokes, but just, mm-hmm. I think it was like... what I won't ruin it, but it was like being attracted to Gavin Newsom doesn't make me any less of an anarchist. And yeah. I first laugh out loud at the title and then... <laughs> the ensuing uh, description of what you would or wouldn't do to Gavin Newsom was quite funny. I'll put that link in the description. Yeah. That headline was just 100% a rant that I was yelling at somebody. (laughs) (laughs) And the whole article is the other things that I was yelling. And obviously a joke, but it was so funny because when they posted that people were like, they tweeted it and people were quote, this happens to the hard times. And I'm sure the onion all the time where like, People don't get that it's a joke. Mm, they don't know it's satire, yeah. Right. And then they get outraged. Mm-hmm. And so people were co-tweeting it and being like, actually, it does mean you're not an anarchist. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but when, so my first Hard Times article, it was um, Antifa kicked me out for not having a Facebook. <laughs> and my friend is like in, he's involved in like direct action, like mm. anti-fascist stuff. And he shared it on Facebook and he was like, oh, I was so proud of Caitlin and all this stuff. Tagged me in it. 
And then the, a huge fight breaks out in the comments because oh. people were like, um, actually, Antifa would never, like, an, anar- an anarchist group would never do that. And uh, and all this shit, they're, yeah. like, arguing. And then other people, including my friend, they were like, this is satire. And then they're like, even so, there would not ever, they would never throw out a person for not being involved. Like, they were mm. doubling down. And then the one person arguing against the article was like, well, you're dumb or like, this is dumb. Mm. And then all these people were like, you're ableist. And then they all jump on this person for being ableist. (laughs) And the whole thing just like descended into chaos. Yeah. It was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. I liked to see too, that they, you know, it was, you know, music satire. And then especially in the last year and they were very like rightly so like relentlessly uh, having a lot of good satire articles that were very anti-cop. And Mm -hmm. then, um, I think in the last couple of years, it has pushed more like political satire too, which is good to see. I've had a couple of people on that are very into music and comedy. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, do you feel like coming up liking that music in that scene feeds into like the way you understand comedy scenes or anything like that? Some of the same like scene politics seem mm-hmm. to carry over to comedy and things like that. I wonder what your thoughts were on it. Yeah, for sure. I think it's all related. And honestly, I think coming up in the punk scene has made me less interested in getting involved in the scene aspect of comedy mm. because I'm like, I already did this shit when I was 14. Uh-huh. Like I don't need to do it as an adult. Mm. <laughs> so I, and I like, and I guess I understand the politics of it and like the approach to it, but I'm just so turned off by that stuff. Mm. Not like I like hanging out with comics and I like going to shows and, watching good comics and yeah and being friends with people like i like all that Mm. it's just like when it starts to feel like i'm in high school like because that was all right so my punk experience i started like drinking when i was 12 and i got into the punk scene and i would just like sleep on the street Mm. and that was my like formative years Mm. so i was just like in Tompkins square park i was sleeping on the d train going to shows well actually my first show was in 1999 (laughs) And it was, we're going to have to edit out age. Nobody do any math. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was the casualties. <laughs> uh. <laughs> then I had my mom drive me to Long Island to go mm. see them, which is stupid. But, you know, it was fun. Are you from New York City? I'm from New York. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have some awareness of the history and all of it specific to the city and like just what you said, like sleeping in Tompkins Square Park, was you did you feel like that were you aware of that while it was happening or you were just like the organic uh happening of it? Yeah, it was just like happening mm. when it, to, like I actually recently heard that time period described as like the last wave of punk mm. and, to, and it was like in New York City. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was like I would see like we went to C Squat and saw Leftover oh, Crack and yeah. like went to CBGBs and saw uh Chromag's reunion. Mm-hmm. You know, like that was like it. Like we were just hanging out ABC Norio and CBs and yeah. Shows in Tompkins Square Park. Mm. 
yeah, I wasn't, I mean, it just felt like that was, those were my friends and that, and that's also, I think why I'm very, because I did not hang out at high school. <laughs> like uh, I did not, I had nothing to do. I remember this kid in my high school moved away or something. Mm. And someone was like, oh, he's moving. And I go, who is that? And they <laughs> go, he sits next to you in math. And I was like, okay. Like uh-huh. I just didn't give a fuck about <laughs> anybody I went to high school. People would like, say that oh you know this person and i'm like i don't know who any of you are because mm. i was not there and then i dropped out and i was going to rehab too when i was like junior year so i started mm. going to rehab a lot and then yeah i just dropped out mm. but i had no connection to it and every aspect of like that type of quote-unquote scene it was so off-putting that yeah and i think that's why like i have such a reaction when i feel like I'm in high school in comedy places mm. where, and I think it like bothers me too much. So then I try to, okay, like let go of my being bothered. You know uh-huh. I mean? Well, because scenes, because they're communities, they have toxic and helpful things kind of all together. Do you right. feel like that experience was toxic enough where when you feel like scene dynamics happening, you stay away? Or is there things you wish maybe could be brought in from punk rock to comedy? I'm kind of leading with that because I've been telling some people about like things could be DIY, more DIY in this way or that way. Just as more of like, I was always kind of like a tourist to all of it, but like mm-hmm. I'm always like, there's some lessons to be learned, I think, from punk rock that independent comedy could also learn. But yeah, I think. The DIY aspect is definitely good. Like, I mean, that was, I think right now, so many people are starting shows Mm. and I love that. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. And like we started a show. I was never, I probably would have never run a show if there was no pandemic. And then I had to like figure out what to do Mm. after I came out of it, you know, I, which is, I mean, I don't know. And I guess maybe like, that's also part of like, wanting to just like give back in some way. I don't know. Yeah. I told my friend, I was like, oh, I just want to give people stage time. And they were like, who cares about other people? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that. I mean, that's an approach. <laughs> yeah. They give people stage time, so they were just messing around. But mm. yeah, I think there are definitely good aspects to, I mean, of course, to the punk scene. I think one of the things I always liked about the punk scene was how it was so, like, inclusive and diverse Mm. and that's like to me like i was aware of things that like people are just now finding out about Mm -hmm. like political things and you know Mm. like some of the things you're like you that you i feel like i get a reaction of like we were talking about that in like 2009 but i'm like wait wait, the goal was to get everybody to talk about it (laughs) right i'm just like good good go the goal was not to have somebody like mansplain how to pronounce acab to me (laughs) that was not the goal wasn't Mm. to like get that on a friggin 50 dollar t-shirt but yeah (laughs) so i yeah it is it's weird that was one thing because like i am not a musician and Mm. when i started writing for them i was like the thing that always, and I guess it's like comedy and satire. Like I took the writing program in second at Second City, mm. and there they it's all satire. Mm. And the one thing that like always bothered me about punk was the because I was a little more into like the anarchist and like mm-hmm. political punk. Like I would feel my own moral conflict. I own an iPhone. <laughs> like am I right. going to hell? I'm. I'm 
contributing to all these terrible things mm-hmm. just by existing in a capitalist society. And I just loved the inherent contradictions of that. And yeah, like the thing with punk is uniform. I remember these chicks, I shaved my mohawk off. I was trying to grow my hair in and mm-hmm. these skinhead chicks came with me. They were like, oh, are you a fucking skinhead? And I was like, no, dude, I'm just like cold and <laughs> yeah. I'm growing my hair out. But it was this like intense thing, like your hair has to look a certain way and your mm. laces can only be this color. And like, Did they actually have out. like the Chelsea? Oh, yeah. Oh. Like, that rigid, like fascistic mm. <laughs> thing of like what you're allowed to wear and how you're allowed to dress and think and, you know, present yourself. All of that is insane. I felt like when I started writing at Hard Times that that was one aspect that I didn't really see talked about as much mm. on the website. Uh-huh. An aspect of the punk scene. So I thought, okay, well, this could be like my little spot. But you've written a lot. It seems like you submitted a lot and had a good number of them. Yeah. I actually, my Facebook got hacked, so I can't use Facebook anymore. And Damn. they were using Facebook to submit. So I haven't <laughs> I didn't submit for a while, but then they moved it. To it's like slack. your Antifa article, though. It's like now you can't contribute to hard times because you can't get on Facebook. Exactly. So it's full circle. Exactly. Yeah. I was thinking about this the connection of hardcore and um, comedy being like people who've been part of a scene where people are making art where not a lot of people might show up. You might have a show where it's just you and the other bands or in this case, just the other comics and maybe a few other people. You might if you're already used to that, that might be an easier way to go into comedy because like I think people who I feel like I'm very normie as I got older, but very normie people were like uh, not used to that. And they're just kind of coming from like, I don't know, some kind of suburban existence where now they're like, now I'm going to try comedy. And it's like turns out it's a bunch of those kind of shows. You got to stay weird places. It's dirty, whatever. That might be more of a shock to their system to like get into it. I think more people in punk rock could transition to comedy easier. Yeah, I think too. Like, do you like Dead Kennedys? Yeah. When I every time I go now, up to well, the bay, have you seen like Jello Biafra on Twitter in the last? He's no, become like a. Name? He's just become like a kind of boomer, middle of the road Democrat. He just oh, is he? It just give enough time. I was just gonna say like if people are men over a long enough period of time. We can see when they start to get like weird about one thing or the other. Johnny Rotten really fell off. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) I was like thinking of pitching something a hard times about that, but I don't. It almost feels like abuse (laughs) or something. He doesn't seem well. Yeah. Well, no, I was going to say they have a slack and I have not. I don't know how to get on slack. (laughs) (laughs) So, Bill, if you're listening. (laughs) Yeah. Just how like now he like loves the queen. (laughs) Mm. I think he was a big. um, Brexit. Brexit, Boris Johnson, and yeah. Yeah, and Nigel Farage. Yeah. And Morrissey. Man, Lost that's, Morrissey. That, that really bums me out because when the songs come on now, I'm just kind of like, I, I, really? I'm like, sometimes I'll listen, sometimes I'll skip. It sort of depends how I feel that day. Yeah, I really like the Smiths. Mm. And like, for people that don't know, Morrissey took a weird, like, uh, sort of hard br- right. English white nationalist turn. Yeah. Mm and it's it's bizarre mm-hmm. well i think it's just he found a new way to get a bunch of attention mm. which has kind of always been his thing so i think he's just loving that so you know it's funny i went to riot fest in 2016 before i moved here because mm. misfits right mm. but morrissey played and 
he made them stop cooking meat. Oh, right. Like an hour before his set. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't smell like meat. This is Chicago. People were rioting. (laughs) (laughs) People were like, fuck Morrissey. There are people who like go to festivals. They don't know anything about the music that they're seeing. They're for food trucks. Right. Yeah. And these people, they didn't know who Morrissey, they were going, why is this happening? And Mm. they're like, Morrissey made us do it. And then, Fuck more. People were screaming it. And it's like all these people who were on the right side of history only because they love meat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. There was a Staples Center show that I think he canceled because they wouldn't stop the contract with the vendor who sells hot dogs. That kind oh, of, God. That kind of thing. And him being a white nationalist is just like horrible for Southern California because there's just such a history of like the Mexican community just mm, t- totally yeah. embracing him. So dumb. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do want to talk about uh, the questions that I ask every comic that I have on. I ask, yeah. what are what is your earliest memory of liking stand-up comedy? Oh, I have a very vivid recollection. I used to... So my parents, like, were never together. Mm. Um, and I would hang out with my dad, like, a couple random days a week. And he would always throw on Comedy Central. Mm. And I was watching Mitch Hedberg. Oh, nice. And he had, Mitch Hedberg had this joke where he was like, I'm going to fuck it up. But it was like the guy handing out the flyers and he goes, here, you throw this out. Yeah. <laughs> and I laughed. And it was the first time I was like, oh, I understand a joke. Mm-hmm. Like I would always watch comedy, especially with my dad. And I loved Norm MacDonald and Weekend Update. We would mm-hmm. watch him all the time. And like Norm MacDonald, also his jokes on Weekend Update, like I don't think there was anything deeper it would be like the punchline would be frank stallone (laughs) all this random so i guess like but i assumed it all meant something else and Mm. like i just didn't get it but that like you throw this out i was like oh i understand that joke Mm -hmm. and that was like so excited (laughs) yeah from the the time period in between there and actually doing it though when did you first try it well when i lived in chicago so i started doing improv in new york and like a year later, I moved to Chicago. Mm-hmm. I was doing improv, and then I started studying sketch. And I would do like sketches and characters and stuff around town. And it was just easier to like execute the ideas alone. Yeah. So I was doing like characters a lot, but they were pretty much me. Mm. I was just acting out scenes basically. And then I started just trying to do like storytelling, like what I thought was storytelling. Mm-hmm. But I would. Like, alter things to make it fit a little better and, you know, throw jokes in the middle and stuff. And I remember I I got booked on this show and I just did that. And this dude was like, I was a good stand-up set. And I was like, I'm not a stand-up. And then another show I did, I did the same thing from that night. And my friend Dave Marr was on the show. And he was like, oh, it was like good stand-up or something. Like, he said, he referred to mm. me as being a stand-up too. And I was like... I'm not doing stand-up. I'm telling stories. <laughs> I like, yeah. really believe that's what I was doing. And then finally my friend's girlfriend was like, that's stand-up. You're doing stand-up. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's mm-hmm. what happened. And What so, do you think was happening in your head, though, where you thought that stand-up was so different than what you were doing? Like, I don't know. I think I just never thought of myself as a stand-up mm-hmm. or I don't know what I thought stand-up was. Because, you know, the crazy thing is like, I always watched stand up, 
when I was in college, I would I went to school for graphic design, and I'd be working on Photoshop like for a long period of time mm. on my computer, and I would put on like stand up in the background, yeah, and I, it would be silent, and I would just like and like cracking up laughing, and mm. everybody hated me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I like I don't know. I guess in some way I felt like oh they're good and I'm not good, so I'm not doing stand up. Mm. That's what they're doing. Oh, it's like you didn't want to call it that because then it'd be real that you were like trying at it kind of. I guess. Yeah. yeah. And I think I like had a lot of respect for stand up like subconsciously. Mm. What do you think is the best place, the type of environment to see stand up? God, I don't know. I mean, I've seen great stand up in small venues, mm. sometimes free or like in a bar. But I've also seen I remember I saw James A. Caster at Lyric Hyperion. Mm. And it was incredible. Mm-hmm. And it was cool because when you walked in, like the show started, he was like playing music and standing there and like he was like in a character almost, mm-hmm. like fucking with people. And that was just like a cool space. But also like I've seen cool, great stand up at the comedy store. Mm-hmm. Just like on a night and there's like hundreds of people in the audience, you know. Yeah. Do you have a type of show or location, type of location that feels like a uh, home game and what kind of play what kind of location feels like an away game for you performing honestly like the native show that i did felt like a home game mm. more and i don't like do tons of native crowds a lot yeah but i don't know it it felt like very supportive it could be because i just came out of this pandemic but um, yeah definitely something obviously to that like identity wise but also just being Supported by a big crowd right now probably feels really good. So, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It was less scary for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but you mean like venue, like geographic location? Mm, or just type of show. What feels like a home game? What feels like an away game? What kind of show are you going to and being like more confident? Um, you're going to do well, you'll feel comfortable. Or what kind of place feels like it's more of a challenge? I think it's the audience. Mm. Um, and I've been finding that if there's more women in the audience, they usually have good sets. Mm. So I think any space with lots of women, that's my crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm happy about. Like I did a show in San Diego and there were tons of women and I got on stage and I saw them all like lean back and fold their arms and like leer at me when I got on stage <laughs> and I bombed so hard. Mm. And, uh, and again, I'm not going to blame them, <laughs> but I did have a moment where I was like, maybe women just hate me. <laughs> and mm. like, that's not true. Mm-hmm. I think too, like I've just, it's, I feel better at stand up now than I did two years ago. Mm. So I San Diego's also, people say it's like more conservative or it's, yeah, of, for sure. But it's like kind of a military town. So what, uh, that, what do you think happened there? I think I just had bad jokes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was doing this joke. One of the punchlines in the bit is like people get SAG cards. Mm. And when I would tell it, if you don't know what a SAG yeah, card is. It might not work out of LA. but Right. Yeah. So then I tried it when I was in San Francisco. But I this time I said it like a bunch of people joined the Screen Actors Guild and some people laughed and like got it. Mm. 
But I mean, I think more people laughed when I phrased it like that. Yeah. But it still is like a very specific thing that mm. it's not going to go. It's like a difference between joining the Screen Actors Guild. Getting a SAG card has the implication like you're kind of set now. You can do more work in that area. You're in a union. It, like it means a lot more, I think, in L.A. Right. Yeah. But even, I, when I told the joke in San Francisco and people laughed, I said people in L.A. don't laugh at that because <laughs> it's too hurtful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think people, if they don't know what a SAG card is, they're going to... And it's just a way too specific thing to be yeah. thrown around, I think. Uh, what do you think is the worst environment to see stand-up? I think in like a public space where you don't want it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm. I just... My immediately, immediate thought was like on a beach. I know my friend Cole was doing a mic. They were like mountain climbing and then mm. like on a big hike and then they would like set up a microphone and everything and then they were like doing an open mic during the pandemic. Mm. And he sent me uh, people on Reddit. There was like a Reddit thread about it that were like, can you fucking believe these assholes? <laughs> they're like, we came out here to hike and you guys just like are yeah. yelling into a microphone. It's echoing and yeah. Mm. So I think people not wanting comedy is the worst time for comedy. Right. Do you remember before the pandemic? It's so weird. I just thought of it because I was thinking in a public space. Do you remember before the pandemic they had squat melt? Yeah. So kind of in lieu of the meltdown closing, they then moved the show around different locations on the sidewalk outside, which seems so novel and interesting. And they would walk to different locations before the mm -hmm. pandemic. And I think the pandemic like wiped it out of my mind because it's just like all kinds of shit like that happened right. unless yeah. it, when you could do stuff outdoors. I wonder if that'll come back. They, like, tore that whole block down. Yeah, where the meltdown is. Yeah. yeah. but I the, never went to Squat Melt, full disclosure. But the meltdown... I never got to... I was out of town. I don't want to tell that story on here again because I just <laughs> got back at the start of the pandemic. But it was one of those things that was, like... There were a couple shows like that where I was, like, I was missing it so bad I wanted to get back to L.A. And then when I got mm -hmm. back, everything shut down. Have you ever seen something in a fictional show, something scripted, or a movie, or some art form, where stand-up is represented. People are doing stand-up and you feel like they nailed it. Have you ever seen anything that feels close to it, the experience of doing it? I'll say this. Actually, I did think of one on Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, there was that guy, what's his name, Banna? Banya, his friend. He's oh, comic, yeah, yeah. And the guy's like successful and he's got no idea why. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, what the fuck? Like, I think it's, Seinfeld got a lot of stand-up stuff right, obviously. Like, I mean, mm. he had the experience. But there was, like, that where he just didn't like the guy. And the guy was doing so well, I thought it was very funny. Mm. And I, once I started doing stand-up, I was like, oh, I get... I support everybody. I'm the best. I'm going to say that now. I want everyone to succeed. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, like, that. And then also the joke stealing. There was a, mm. an episode of Seinfeld where they... And it might have been the same one where he, like... The guy stole his joke. Mm. I remember one time I saw somebody go on stage and like repeat the things I said to them in a conversation. Oh. Uh, in a show. Mm hmm And I was like, no. But. Yeah. I'm not going to say, you know, it's like the time has passed. But <laughs> mm -hmm. what can you say to that? You know? Yeah. It would also lead to something like an uncomfortable thing where you're like, just trying to be funny conversationally. And then you're like, but don't, don't use that. You can't use that. Yeah. Right. And like, do I have to say that in every conversation now? What the hell? Mm. <laughs> do you remember the last set you, you did before 
the pandemic before things locked down? I, don't, I started working on Rutherford Falls at the end of 2019, and oh. I was not going out much. Uh-huh. I truly cannot remember. It might have been, oh my God, it might have been the Hard Times Anniversary show. Oh, nice. At Gilman Street. Whoa. That can't be it. But I'm just going to say that's it because I can't think of it. I might have done like some other show in LA before that, mm. but that was that's the first one that comes to mind. Damn. Yeah, because I they were calling me asking if I could they were like trying to organize their schedule on Rutherford mm. and they were like can you start like Monday and I was driving back from the bay and I'm like no <laughs> yeah yeah and then well then working on Rutherford Falls did they did they create most of that through the pandemic then they started writing it December of 2019 it was like the higher up people all met to like break the season mm. the first season and then the room started like right after new year's mm-hmm. so they spent like three weeks breaking the season and then the room all the writers came in and mm. then they started going like episode by episode breaking them yeah i started because i knew you were going to be on my podcast i started <laughs> watching it i had peacock and i was like I'm going to check that out. And Mm. I like it a lot. I just started the season and I was like, I've never seen anything that talks about any of this type of stuff before. (laughs) And it's like so interesting that Ed Helms has to be a likable character. And then he is like the name. He's the namesake of this town. His family founded this town, but it also has the native community there the whole time. So it's like talking about really tense things on a comedic show that's also dramatic so i was like mm-hmm. i've never seen this before yeah mm-hmm. they did a great job writing it i did not write it <laughs> what do you do on it well i was the writer's pa when i started mm. might be coming back as the writer's assistant mm. unsure but well i start with a bad one to get to a good one Uh-oh. <laughs> what what is your worst comedy related memory Worst comedy that you're comfortable sharing. I give that caveat now because some oh. people got very real with it. There's one I can think of that I put on the record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, honestly, I my default answer would always be bombing in San Diego. Mm-hmm. I actually, someone asked me for like a bio. And I had to write some crap. I honestly like looked up Janine Garofalo's bio and just kind of copy pasted <laughs> some aspects of it. Because enough people like, I did this terrible open mic one night and there was a drunk guy who just kept yelling Janine Garofalo. At me. Uh-huh. So I've gotten the comparison enough that I'm like, all right, let's try that. Mm. And um, yeah, at the end of it, I was like, her comedy, something like people love it everywhere except San Diego. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, that was... A bummer. I actually, I, we did three shows that weekend and I apologized to the person who put me in touch with all oh. those bookers because I felt so bad about how I did. Mm. I was like, I'm so sorry that for what I did. <laughs> San Diego's come up. Um, I'm almost on episode 50 of this podcast and I've asked that question to probably like 35 people, I guess, at this point. And mm-hmm. San Diego has probably come up like a dozen times. So, Mm-hmm. something about that place I will say they have a show uh, they don't have it anymore I mean it's coming back in a different spot but I would do this one called Tiger Tiger mm. and or it was at Tiger Tiger the venue and mm. um, and that was a great show 
and it was always fun. Even when my set wasn't that great, like the people who run it are great and mm. the venue was cool and the audience, there was always an audience and they're always great. So that makes up for any bad San Diego experiences. Uh-huh. <laughs> but then what is your best comedy related memory? I think the show I did this weekend was definitely up there. Mm. That was incredible. And also, this is embarrassing, but uh, I did for Rutherford Falls during the pandemic, a Zoom show. Oh. Um, it was like an NBC internal hmm. Zoom show. And I, when it was my turn to do my set, I had Mike Sure visible in my Oh, nice. And I just watched him the whole time and he laughed at my jokes and that was like all I needed. Yeah. Because <laughs> I really, I mean, like I have so much like respect for Mike and I think he's just the best and mm. I just like look up to him. And so that was really fun. Creator of The Office and now Rutherford Falls and Parks many and things. Yeah. yeah. Before we finish up, we should plug your show. Yes. Coming up. This is different. This is different. <laughs> What's the, uh, um, what are the details? We know it's August 1st, Sunday. August 1st, doors at 7, starts at 7.30, $10. We have an event bright. We send the link out. We tweet it all the time. It's also in the bio of my Instagram. I'll put the event bright in this episode description. Yeah, people will definitely find it. Uh, That's if you're in the LA area, it's in Burbank. It's outdoors. So if you're feeling weird about any of that, it's ultra safe that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the lineup, Guy Branham, I really like. Sarah Mm -hmm. Schaefer, Christine Madrano. I saw her recently. It's very funny. Mm -hmm. So stacked lineup, only 10 bucks in Burbank. Yes. Um, Also hilarious. And then hosted by Caitlin and Kadi Asad. Yep. So look for the links in the episode description. Anything else you want to plug? I don't know when this comes out. I'm doing a show on Friday. This will come out on Friday. So if you're listening to this on Friday, where's that show? It's in Pasadena. It's called The Joe Show at the Pasadena Comedy. Hmm. 1194 East Walnut. 6 p.m. So on your way home from work, swing by. (laughs) $10. Uh, people should also watch Rutherford Falls. It's yes. very good. What else? I also worked on a show called Connecting. You can see it on Hulu or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's on Peacock too. Yeah. It was also an NBC show. Oh, and then check out Caitlin Jeffers on and then put Hard Times in the Google and you'll find her page on mm. the Hard Times and can read her punk and political satire articles. Yes. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Don't Sit in the Front. Please rate and subscribe and leave me a review. You can follow the show on Twitter with the handle don't underscore sit or don't sit in the front, all one word, on Instagram. Our music is composed by Chris Helking and our cover art is provided by Memory Bloom Studio. Thank you so much for listening and just remember to always punch up and keep swinging. Keep swinging.